Today we're looking at gratitude's big brother, and the word is contentment, okay? Uh, And that's enough of an introduction. Stand with me all over this place, and uh, let's begin by praying together and just inviting God into this moment. Uh, God, we, we pause for a moment, just take a deep breath, and truly welcome you into this place, into this moment. We know that you are omnipresent, God. You are everywhere all the time but there are also just moments when you show yourself in a place and in hearts in a way that's a little bit different, and that's what we're asking for. And so, Lord, I pray that through your very word, as we open up the Bible today, that significant things would come and that you would speak. God, use me in this. God, I don't want this just to be my thoughts and stuff. God, we want you to come and you to speak. And so, Lord, that is our prayer. We give this to you in your name, we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, fantastic, fantastic. Starting with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, and that may seem like a weird place for us to start as we're talking about gratitude and contentment, but I think you'll see why in a moment. But even if you did not grow up in a church, going to church, the Ten Commandments is something that you've heard of before. In fact, you probably can tell us one or two or a couple of them uh, as well. It's stuff like thou shalt not murder. That sounds like a good idea, right? Yeah, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery and lie. Okay, but, but really quickly, let me give you some of the history behind the Ten Commandments. We're going to go fast through this, and then we're going to talk about a specific one. It's actually the last one on the list. Uh, last week, we talked about Moses and the Jewish people leaving Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and they were set free, but they didn't have anywhere to go, and so they're wandering in the wilderness. Uh, like They didn't really even know how to be a people. They, they, their entire identity had been wrapped up in them being slaves uh, in Egypt. So Moses climbs this mountain, and he has this encounter with God. Uh, there's much more to the story as we're going super fast, but God basically then gives him the Jewish law. Part of that was these 10 commandments. And so he walks back down this mountain and he shares this with these people. Uh, God gives these people basic laws to live by because they really had none and they had no idea how to live and do any of this, okay? It, but it was this, it sounds like a negative thing, thou shalt not, all of these things, but it's, it's actually this beautiful promise that God made to these people. If you follow me and if you obey me, I'm gonna be your God and you're gonna be my people and things are gonna go well for both and, and all of this. And, uh, and so back to the 10 commandments, they're, they're found in this book of Exodus chapter number 20. And the last one on the list is down in verse number 17. Let me read this to you. Uh, and we're just going to kind of, we're kind of climbing a mountain together and we're going to get someplace at the end. You may have your questions along the way of like, where are we going? But we're going to get there, I promise, okay? Uh, here's what it says. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet, and then it lists off some things like his ox and his donkey and anything that, you shall not covet that. And here's my question, and the question that I want us to ask as we get into this today, why in the world does you shall not covet make God's list of the 10 commandments? Now let me present to you a couple reasons why this doesn't make any sense. Are you ready? Okay, first, compared to the others on the list, 
thou shalt not covet just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Okay, I mean, we understand don't murder people. That, that okay, we're glad for that law. That, that's a good one. That makes sense, God. Thank you for that on the Ten Commandments, right? Okay, we get that. Let's not kill each other. We understand don't steal. I mean, this stuff, it, it, it makes sense. Don't commit adultery. I can even understand don't lie. As you can see, kind of the toxic nature and the unhealthiness and the chaos that that can create in a culture and in people. But you shall not covet just doesn't seem like it should be on the same level as you shall not murder. Is anyone with me? Okay, with that? Okay, second, my second argument here of why this is a bad idea, I forgot to put this in there, okay? Coveting is actually quite difficult to define. It's, it's hard to define. It's difficult to know when you're coveting and when you're not. Like, where is the magic covet line of you crossed over and you didn't? You shall not kill. Pretty black and white. Would you like you with me on that? Uh, Don't lie. Don't steal. These are all pretty easy to define and understand. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or wife or servant or donkey. It's like, here's the law. Don't have these feelings or desires on the inside of you towards those things. Like, it's, it's different. It's that made God's list of 10 commandments, this famous piece of scripture, you shall not covet. So let's start here. What does it actually mean to covet, okay? Well, when, when you're looking scripturally, the word covet and the word greed are often used interchangeably and have very similar definitions, okay? Covetousness is an inordinate desire for wealth or possessions, Okay, greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something such as money. They both use the word desire, if you saw that, and they both carry this idea of excessive in some way. Covet used the word inordinate, which that word just means unusually large or excessive, is in the definition of that. Covet and greed, scripturally, are very much the same, and they're kind of interchangeable. Now, if you're nitpicking, coveting probably carries a little bit of excessive desiring for what somebody else has, but the root of these two words are very, very similar. Both are about desires for things like wealth, money, possessions, and these desires are excessive, all right, is what we have. And all that brings us back to the question, why is this such a big deal to God to the point that it would make the list of the Ten Commandments. And to begin to answer that question, I want us to look at a book in the Bible called Colossians, and we're gonna look at chapter number three. Colossians chapter three, verse five. Let me read this to you. Uh, Write this down if you're taking notes too. Colossians three, five. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. All right, this is the Apostle Paul writing here. He's telling Christians to put to death some of these lifestyle things that are very destructive. He lists out sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and then Paul adds 
greed to this list. Now, if we look at a different English translation, which I've put on the screen, uh, the word greed is actually translated as covetousness. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, okay? Greed and covet often interchanged in the Bible. Now, none of this is written in English, and so just understand what's going on here when we have two English translations of it. This is written in a different language, in Greek. And so in it, we have a translation of that, and there's lots of different translations that we have of that, and they use different words as they're trying to figure out what the original one kind of meant in that, okay? But here's why we're looking at this verse in Paul's list, and Paul wrote this, in his list of stuff here, he, he adds something to the word greed and covet that he doesn't add to the other things. I don't know if you caught that. He writes covetousness, which is idolatry, greed, which is idolatry. And in these extra three words that he adds to those, we begin to unlock the question or the answer to the question, what's the big deal with this thing called coveting? Why is it such a big deal to God and why is it in the 10 commandments? Very simply because biblically, covetousness is idolatry. It's idolatry. Now, good grief, this is getting more complicated because idolatry is not really a word we use a whole lot around here and in America really at all. And when we think of the word idolatry, our mind often goes straight to people like around the world who are Buddhists or something and they worship little idols that are made out of stuff, wood and metal or whatever. Uh, when we were just, I was just in Nepal a few, a month or two ago and they had little idols everywhere. And when we say idolatry, oftentimes we think of worshiping idols in that way. But listen, if we take into account the passage of scripture we just read from the book of Colossians, greed and coveting is idolatry. So we can conclude, okay, we're climbing a mountain together. We can conclude that biblically idolatry is more than just physical wooden idols. Would you agree? If greed is idolatry and coveting is idolatry, that's different. Uh, idolatry then can also be a heart thing inside a desire type of thing is what we're getting, okay? In fact, let's just define idolatry in a very simple way. It's just anything that is more important than God in your life. Anything that's more important than God in your life is idolatry. Uh, and so when God says, don't miss this now, we're putting this all together a little bit. When God says you shall not covet, this is not just you shall not have excessive feelings and desires for things that you don't have. There's something deeper going on here, okay? But this is, and here's a way where we could kind of start to explain this. When you begin to have excessive desires for material things, wealth, money, possessions, excessive desires for those things will begin to compete with God for what or who is first in your life. And God says, I don't want things to be in competition with me for your heart. Are you with me so far? Okay, seven of us are with, okay, there we got a couple more. There, we're, like, does this make sense? 
I don't want anything to be in competition with me. This is God speaking. I don't want things, possessions, all this stuff to be in competition in that way. Now, now here's what's interesting. Go ahead and put that 10 commandments slide on. I'm just going to show you number one and number 10 on the list. All right. And so number one, commandment number one is this. You shall have no other gods before me. No more idols no more worshiping the sun. Now, this is a much different, much different type of situation when we're talking about ancient Israel and Egypt and all the surrounding places. Like, I am the only God. Don't do religious stuff outside of me, all right, is what he's saying. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, commandment, commandment number 10, the last one on the list, you shall not covet Okay, now remember, we just heard Paul write, covetousness is idolatry. Commandment number one, commandment number 10, both saying don't worship, don't put other things above me. God begins the list, don't worship other gods, ends the list. I don't want to, I don't want like compete with money and stuff in your life. All right, don't desire anything in this world ahead of your desire for me. I don't want to compete for your heart. And then in between these two, we have don't kill people, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, and the list goes on. Okay, thank you so much for all of this information, Pastor Kaba. What in the stink does any of this have to do with gratitude? Okay, and why are we talking about this in 21 days of feasting? I'm glad you asked. Okay, listen, it is impossible to live a life that is overflowing with gratitude when our hearts are filled with an excessive desire for more. That's where we're getting with this entire thing. Like, in the first week, we talked about this lens that we view the world through, and I'm just here to tell you, you cannot view the world through this beautiful lens of gratitude if your heart is filled with these excessive desires for more stuff, for more. Now, don't, don't mishear me here. It, it's acceptable to desire things. It's, it's a, it's impossible to walk this earth and not have desires for material things in different ways, but it's very easy for these desires to begin to rival our love and our desire for God. And when that begins to happen, we all of a sudden find ourselves in a very like gr grave danger situation of things getting out of control. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter six says this way, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Those who want to get rich. Now if I would have started this sermon today just by saying, how many of you want to get rich? We would all been like, yeah, I want to get rich. Okay, think about it for a second. This is not written to rich people. This is, this is the desire. It's the inside thing. People who have this inside, deep, excessive desire for money and for things and for wealth, these people fall into temptation and a trap, and that stuff plunges people into ruin and destruction, is what he says. These are desires towards material things. Desires towards stuff, money, wealth, 
more things, more material gain. And then we have this famous verse right in the middle of this. It's often misquoted, though. It says, it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, understand, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Some people say that, and they say that's in the Bible. It's not that. The love of money, the desire inside for that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not wrong to desire something as long as it's not competing with our relationship with God. And listen to me, before you say, well, I don't have an excessive desire for material things. Our culture has built this into every single one of us. It oozes out of our electronics. You didn't know this, it does. It's built into every TV show, every movie, every sporting event we watch. It jumps off of our social media platforms. Listen, we may not have little physical wooden idols that we are bowing to and lighting candles in front of and all of those types of things, but don't miss me. Here in central Minnesota, we have our gods. They just look different. They come in the form of electronics and houses and shoes and vehicles and money. And God has known this all along. And unfortunately, the more wealth that a person has, the greater temptation like for us to make that wealth into something that competes for our hearts. This is an issue for you. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you're here saying, I don't have any desire for anything in the world. Like, you are, you're, you, you are mistaken. This is a battle that we always faced constantly, all of the time. The battle of who is going to have our hearts. Certain moments it's elevated, certain seasons it's more than others, but don't miss this. This is a human issue, and you are a human, I think. But if, you, if you're a Christian, and here's just where I wanted to go and say this, if you are a Christian, you should feel the tension and the danger of the pull of money in your life. You should feel that. Why? Because Jesus talked about the tension and the danger of money all the time. Uh, we don't have time to dive too far into the words of Jesus on this. Let me show you one of the things that he said and just look at the words he uses to describe the power that money has. Are you ready? Okay, this is Luke chapter 16. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. This isn't like you cannot serve both God and the devil, okay? Like Jesus seems to put money as the number one battle for our hearts. You hear that? It's God's greatest competition in our lives. Stuff, money, wealth. And as Christians, we should feel the tension on and for this topic. We should be aware of this. We should feel it. I heard one person say, money enslaves people and then laughs at them as it fails to provide the happiness it promises. And I think deep down you know this to be true. It's a trap. It's, it's like a poison to our soul, the excessive desire for more, and it enslaves. So, so what do we do? How do we combat this? 
How do we keep covetousness at bay and under control in our lives? Write this down if you're taking notes, okay? The antidote to coveting is contentment. It's contentment. Wow, there wasn't like this big round of applause at that moment, was there? It was <laughs> kind of quiet, okay? Um, an antidote, you know this, it's like a medicine that's given to counteract a poison of some kind, and understand that's what, that's what coveting is. It's, it's poison. It's, uh, and the antidote, the medicine to counteract that is contentment, and we see, we see contentment come up all throughout the Bible. Uh, in fact, some of what we already read hints at this, and, and we just weren't focusing on it, and so we kind of missed it, but here's, there's one place where we really see this, and I want to show this to you. It's something that Paul wrote in the book of Philippians. Check this out. Uh, This is Philippians chapter four, verse 10. He writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now that's a famous verse that we ended in. I can do all things through him who gives me strength is, is another word of that. It's on, uh, Steph Curry puts this verse on his shoes. If you didn't know this, he has it on there. Like we say this, I can do all things. The reality is, no, 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 no. You cannot do all things through him who gives you strength. Like you, you can't. And you're saying, what do you mean? Go try to jump off a bridge and say, I can do all things. Okay, this is not gonna go well for you. Go try, try to fly. You can't do that. Like you, this is... I can do all things you give him who give me strength. That's not what this is. This verse right here is like written in the context of there is this supernatural, amazing thing that God has done in me and I can somehow be content in the midst of some of my worst situations. Like for Paul, his satisfaction in life was not tied to anything material. So what's that saying? Now that is hard. His satisfaction in life not tied to anything that he had or didn't have. His satisfaction was completely and in every way his contentment was found found outside of that in something else. Okay? Uh, Now I want to show you this. Uh, Listen to what he wrote just a chapter before us. We're going to get a glimpse into his life a little bit deeper. All right? This is chapter three, verse seven. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Like contentment, satisfaction in life not found in in material things, and it's found outside of money, outside of possessions. Paul says all of that stuff, I now consider all of that garbage in comparison 
to knowing this beautiful Jesus and what he has done. That word garbage right there, it's this incredible Greek word. You gotta go look it up later because, because what, you will find, what you will find with that word garbage is actually a better translation. It's just the word dung. Kind of cool, huh? He's like, I consider all of this other stuff poop <laughs> compared, to, compared to knowing Jesus, compared to all of that. All right, so as we get ready to kind of wrap this thing up, let me give you four things, four ways to um, combat coveting and this excessive desire in our lives and move towards contentment, okay? Number one, these are just gonna be super practical too. Have moments where you say no to yourself. Have moments when you say no. What do I mean by that? Okay, every time we watch a commercial and every time we see things and all of, there are polls at us all the time, we walk, and Black Friday is such a great example of this. It's like, can I just tell you that just because something's on sale doesn't mean that you should buy it? <laughs> That's crazy. So it's out there, isn't it? Okay, but at, at times you should say no. And I'm not even saying like because you can't afford it. Even if you can afford to buy something, there should be times in your life when you tell yourself no. Does that make sense? Okay? And by the way, parents, there should be times in your lives when you tell your kids no. You you are not doing your kids any favors by giving them everything in this world by the time they're 14. Like Some of us are having a really hard time figuring out what to get your kids for Christmas because they already have everything. Like, just understand, there should be times in your lives when you say no to your children in different ways, and all the kids said, amen. <laughs> okay, um, number two, number two, kind of an ex- extension of this first one, have moments where you choose to give instead of buy. In fact, we're not really going in this direction with this message, but one of the, one of the greatest antidotes to materialistic living and, and all of that is learning to give. Instead of living our lives with, with our hands covering all of our stuff and our money, beginning to learn to live our lives in this way is a beautiful thing and can change things for you. And so sometimes there should be moments where you choose to give instead of buy. There, there have been multiple times over the years for me when we get to Christmas or my birthday or something and people, you know, my family's saying, what do you want? And we say, I don't need anything. Let's, let's, I just want us to give. And that should be a part of your life at some point where you say no to things and instead you actually choose to give. All right, number three, uh, learn to focus on what you have instead of what you don't. That sounds like super cliche, doesn't it? But it really can be a beautiful thing uh, the idea of gratitude journals, we've talked about that stuff, and I know some of us guys are like, don't even say the word journal, that's the girliest thing in the world, and I'm not going to do it in a journal. Okay, but, but just the idea of writing things down and saying, God, this is what I have, this is beautiful, what you have given to me, and as we learn to focus on that, because understand, again, like social media is oozing the opposite direction, and when you go watch football today, Every moment, every, people are paying millions of dollars to keep you from thinking this way. 
Like, don't miss that. Our culture is pulling at you 100% all the time in that way and learn to focus on what we have instead of what we don't. Uh, Music team, will you please come? And then the fourth one is just this. Learn the secret of finding satisfaction in God. Learn that. Figure that out. We could talk about stuff like that, but those who are hungry will be filled, the scripture says. Hunger and thirst for his righteousness, and you will be filled. And, I, and I'm just here to tell you, you can search the world trying to find meaning and satisfaction and trying to fill the void maybe that is in your heart and in your life. And I'm telling you, you can buy everything in this world and you will still not find what you're looking for. It was Jim Carrey, okay, the dumb and dumber guy, if you know who that, who just said, at one point he said, everyone should have a chance to have everything they could ever dream of just so that they could learn that it does not satisfy. It's hard for us to understand that because we don't have everything we could ever dream of. But there are people that do and they understand that it, it, it doesn't bring what they thought. You will never truly be fulfilled in life outside of Jesus, outside of God, your creator. You were created to have relationship with him. It is why you are alive. And without that, you will always, you will always be empty. You will always be longing. You will always be searching and trying to find it and fill it. And you can work 100 hours a week and you can buy everything you ever dreamed of and you will never find it outside of Jesus. Please stand with me all over this place. God, we come to you with our hearts open. Help us with this, God. This is not easy. Help us to be fully aware of the tension of money and the power and the good that can come from from what we have and the blessings even that you pour out on us and all of these things, God, but it can feel in a way so difficult to live with the blessings you've given and not allow them to penetrate into our heart and begin to compete with you. And so God, we, we pray even together that you would help us with that. God, I want, I want you to be first. I want you to be number one. I want you to be the center of my life and why I'm alive and all of those things. Help me, God, to seek first your kingdom and all that other stuff, let that be added on after. Change us, challenge us, move on us, we pray in your name.